Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast. Coming to you live, running through the six with our woes. I'm your host, Justin. I'm Aaron. Welcome back, everyone. Um, as Justin alluded to, we've got a recap of the Canadian Grand Prix this week. We've got uh, plenty of League of Legends talk as well. All the good stuff that you all are looking to find here. Justin, how are you doing? Uh, it's good to see you, my man. Yeah, doing really well. Good to see you too. Excited to um, yeah, excited to get into the meat of the pod this week. We got a lot to talk about, like you said. But first of all, I want to hear how you've been. Give me your rose thorn and seed for the week, sir. Sounds good. Um, so I will start out with uh, my thorn. Um, and so my thorn this week, uh, the the main one. Uh, was that Colleen uh, caught COVID. I think I mentioned it last week, uh, but she was still kind of struggling through that through the weekend and all. And so we, uh, she's, she's like doing fine, but we kind of were um, just stuck home and everything. Um, She's not feeling tip top. And so it was not the ideal way to kind of have a, a nice stay at home weekend. We still made the most of it though. And so that'll get to my rose. Um, so for my rose, the, um, just the outdoor space in and around our apartment is, has been really, really nice. So we were able to kind of still utilize a lot of that while Colleen was sick, uh, or sick and stay like away from people. So we right. were able to go and hang out on our rooftop area, uh, for a bit. We went and did some, uh, some walks through the the local graveyard, um, wandering through, which is uh, fun and and interesting. There's a lot of very very old uh, tombstones and everything in there, so it's a uh, it's pretty it's been pretty cool, kind of checking that out. I, I feel mm. like that's probably a weird. I don't know, like I don't think it's weird to go for a walk through a graveyard because you're just like casually walking. You're being like relatively quiet, pretty respectful. Um, I don't know how I would feel about, this is something Kali and I have talked about a little bit, but she's like, like, Oh, we could ride our bikes through the graveyard. I'm like, that seems a little, uh, in my opinion, like I would feel like I'm being disrespectful. Even if other people don't, I feel like that's like, I don't know, going for a walk and casually just like going around compared to riding a bike through a graveyard and all. And not like, not like just riding it through as like you're cutting through it, but like riding just around the pads right. since it's right. a pretty, uh, pretty large <laughs> graveyard uh, by me. So. Yeah, then why not just like throw a you know throw a blanket down, have a little picnic. You could set up the badminton net. I mean, honestly, it'd be probably pretty nice. I mean, uh, it is some nice green outdoor space, but I, I do feel this like there's a, a line, and so that's that's yeah. kind of where mine is. So we've we got to enjoy the outdoor space around our apartment a lot, uh, which is nice. Um, and then my seed is that I am, uh, looking forward to going on vacation this weekend. I have not, uh, really done much vacationing, um, over the past few years, just obviously with 
the pandemic. And then prior to that, uh, when I worked and lived down in Virginia, um, I really wouldn't take much time off because I was always stressed out about what is going on at work. And like, if I'm going to end up with all this craziness and like not be able to relax. Um, so other than the occasional beach trip here and there, uh, this will be kind of a nice few days off to, to just relax a bit. Yeah, that's uh that's really sweet. Often, often I find myself like, uh, wanting on vacations. I think I'm just like restless in general, or I'm just like a homebody, but, uh, yeah, overall getting a couple days, couple of days free and clear is pretty sweet. So I'm looking forward to that for you. Cause that's really sweet. Thanks man. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, definitely, definitely ready for it. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's my rose thorn and seed for this week. But what have you got for us? What's going on over there down your way? <laughs> my card table was stolen and that's my thorn for the week. So stolen more like conveniently, uh, thought it was theirs and took it when they moved out. Um, so most of the efforts to uh, recoup said card table has gone into the void. So that's pretty frustrating. But um, yeah, I think where it's, was it's, um, where was this at? It was in like at my office, at my massage office, where we would play cards. So right. yeah, I just stole, I stowed the table like in the kitchen, off, out of the way. And um, when one of the other tenants left, they took the table, thinking it was theirs. Because mm. we reached out to them, and I was like, "Yo, that's our table that you took." And she was like, "Oh, blah 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 blah." I thought it was like, "Nah." has yet to return it we've reached out so it's just like oh man that's tough but it's annoying because especially once people go they are like and i've experienced this in like hotels and uh, property management just like once people like once you're out of sight you are like you're not a priority for them anymore they're like yeah nah I'm, i'm gone from here so like you'll you'll probably get the table back but it'll be on their time it'll be like well, okay, I was in the area and I had it in my trunk just in case I was like, bye, and then they'll drop it off. But Yeah, it's- and that'll be way too late, not on my timeline. So overall, me and Sarah have just been like grexing back and forth about it. But um, yeah, I think, it'll, I think it'll come back. My seed for the week, however, is a little spicier. So I have been waiting for an opportunity to recoup the very lucrative investing opportunity from last summer to summers ago. So Double Masters uh, Magic Sealed Product was a banger, had the Mana Crypt, the Force of Will, the Jace, the Mind Sculptor, all sorts of sweet cards. And like a fucking Yahoo, I just bought a box and cracked it all open. I was like, ah, I want to see what's in here. And uh, now those boxes are literally like $800. They were retailing at like 275 whatever, like when you originally buy them. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, cool. Some of the singles I got are like... 
I'm very, very pleased to have cracked them open. However, given another opportunity, I would say, fuck the singles. I want to invest in the sealed product. So this coming Double Masters 2022, I kept my eyes open. I did some savings and I was like, all right, it's it's going to be insane. So the first available listed price was like 270 hmm. the next day the like the next day or two days later they start doing like the big spoilers the big like whoa these are the cards in the set within the first 24 hours the price went up 15 dollars. within the next 36 hours the price was up to 300 boxes are now sitting at 316 wow that's before shipping and taxes and everything. Sheesh. And now after like the spoil, you know, they, they've released a lot of what's in the set. Like obviously just number go up. So mm. I am like over the moon that I was like, okay, I, I, I see a mistake. There's a, an opportunity in the future to not make the same mistake. And I made a plan. I was like, I'm going for that. So we did that. I'm just going to throw it up on the shelf and check back in three years and just fucking quadruple all my monies. Nice. That's Hell definitely yeah. a good investment. And that's not, it's not easy to quadruple your investment in that amount of time for most things. So that's a, that's a good one if you're able to put that away and keep it. So yeah. Yeah. We'll see, but I'm definitely stoked on it. And then my Rose, just a small one, Sasha, my dog, her belly has been like just a little upset. She's been, uh, yakking up some, uh, some of her dinner sometimes. And we just had her to the vet. They kind of gave her like overall clean bill of health, told us like, told us what's going on and some ways to fix it. Um, so I think she's going to be doing okay for now. So that's, um, you know, uh, some peace of mind. Nice. That's awesome. I'm glad yeah, to hear she's doing, she's doing good. Is it like a diet thing or is it more like, uh, just. It was like, a thing? it was like a, an esophageal thing where oh. we, had her, we had her bowl too low. Um, so we just got her a high bowl and yeah. so hopefully it'll be, it'll be fine. Yeah. I've heard uh, a few different dogs having similar issues. So, uh, awesome. Very good. Yeah, hopefully. Scary. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a, a nice, uh, pleasant uh, thing to to happen. And just like you don't have to stress; it's not something serious. Easy fix. Um, so hopefully, uh, she'll be she'll be doing better off now. Yeah, for sure. Happy Sasha. Happy life. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and you know who was unhappy this weekend was. Checo and a number of other drivers. So yeah, I, I would do want a number of them. <laughs> so I do want to get into get into the F1 talk this week. But first, That's to good. start us off, of course, uh, we talked about it last week. We were discussing our opinions on it. Um, what happens? The FIA uh, puts out a directive um, about the cars, the porpoising, uh, the issues with um, uh, like just driver safety and all like we saw Lewis really struggling after um, the uh, previous Grand Prix in Baku. So they say uh, come out issue this directive that says that the vertical acceleration will have a limit that's acceptable for uh, oscillations for the drivers. So 
Um, they're implementing that. Uh, I don't believe everything's fully set in stone yet, but uh, there's no directive of X height of your car or anything like that. So it does not punish the teams that um, had figured out how to, to resolve the porpoising issue. Um, but it does allow for all the teams to kind of keep driver safety in mind and, and maintain that. So I, I do appreciate them finding. And I know that obviously it helps Red Bull because they've not had porpoising issues, but uh in general i think that that's the way that most of these technical directives should go is to um allow not not uh hamper teams that are doing something well um but to kind of fix things for uh teams that are they're not quite doing things the right way so yeah, and especially when driver health and safety is concerned, I think that's a fine place for these directives to be like put in place. If it's just like raw performance in the sense of like trying to trying to elevate a team in like a uh, maybe a, a certain disingenuous kind of way of like we want the field to be up at a certain point so we're gonna like help this team but not that team um you know whatever that's probably not that good but from the perspective of the health of drivers yeah i think it's fine and it is um uh a pretty good precedent moving forward as rules and uh, as rules and regulations change, as the this era of car development moves forward, it sets a pretty good precedent from the FIA that they will be um, they will be sympathetic to the concerns of the teams and the drivers and the principals, and say, yeah, this may not be like the funnest in the court of public opinion but guess what it keeps everybody safe and happy so drivers teams we hear you let's do that i think that's um i'll say it again i just think it's a strong precedent to set from the fia yeah and i think it's a, a good one and i like i know people are probably thinking about uh like we had mentioned um the dos system that mercedes had the other year that was uh ruled out from being used and everything um but they didn't uh they didn't stop it from being used through that season it was allowed to continue and everything and uh just was not allowed to be used uh following years and everything so i i think that is like a technical directive that that does kind of just specifically hamper one team which i ideally is not the way that i would like to see it i think that this was handled pretty well overall so hopefully this does set a precedent moving forward to, to not hamper teams that have figured out something uh, innovative, something, something creative and all um, that can kind of level up the, the field in general. Um, but uh, to just maintain uh, that, that level of safety, like we mentioned. So, um, so yeah, leading into the Canadian Grand Prix, that was uh, the, the biggest news that was really announced along with, of course, uh, the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc uh, going to the back of the grid for grid penalties um, since he was using a new power unit and turbo and this and that and everything else uh, for this uh, this week's race. Yeah, and um, 
I don't remember. Did that come before or after practice or a qualifying session, or did Ferrari know that going into the weekend? No, I'm pretty certain they knew it going into the weekend. That was announced on the 16th last Thursday, so that would have been before any of the practice sessions or anything. Sure. Um, okay. But I mean, it was it was already a, kind of assumed. Um, due to his his car issues uh, in mm-hmm. Baku. But um, that does kind of give us a little bit of discrepancy between the uh, qualifying and the results there and then the uh, actual uh, starting grid leading into the race. Um, and so we had, during the qualifying, we had Leclerc run in... Um, in Q1, make it into Q2 because Yuki Sonoda was also taking engine penalties. So if he beats Yuki, he starts in 19th instead of 20th, which is what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty surprised, though, um, just looking at the qualifying and everything. I was pretty surprised to see both of the Aston Martins out. We did have wet weather qualifying, but Seb mm. is, is typically a, a wet weather fiend out there. Um, and so I was, I was pretty surprised to see him that far down the grid, uh, down in P 17. Yeah. There's something to be said for the drivers that are like strong in the wet, but don't have the fastest car though. Right. Like is the, is the performance, uh, loss that comes with the wet track and the tires and having to manage those laps, like very differently, especially wet qualifying. Um, I'm curious if there is some kind of disconnect between like, or what would that be? It would be like a, like an inverse relationship graph or something where the higher the skill of the driver only matters to a certain point yeah. and then like the car factors in. I'm curious if there's something like that in effect with a qualifying like that, because you're right. Um, even in the Aston Martin, Seb has been able to get a little more out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Lance has been pretty decent in the wet and decent in qualifying overall. Um, so you're right. That is kind of a curious standout. Um, I guess the other the other thing to mention, though, is it they both were knocked out in Q1. And in Q2 and Q3, the track did start to develop a bit of a drier line. Um, things were drying out. People were switching to the intermediate tires as opposed to the uh, the wets. And so I think when it is that wet out, it is a bit more of a crap shoot for sure, where it's like it sometimes maybe you're too far back from the person in front of you. And that water that they pushed out of the way is like now settled right back into where it's at. And you're, you're ending up with some different wet patches and all, but Um, Well, and the spray looks brutal. Like that's got to be so tough to deal with. Um, So then there is the element of just like waiting the whatever 300 meters that, you know, the spray is has died down and like sacrificing time and saying, I I need that guy to be so far away because I can't fucking see the the circuit. Oh, 100 percent. Like it is it is unbelievable looking through those driver cams. I don't know how they see anything. Um, but, uh, just kind of moving up the, uh, up the grid in the starting and everything. 
Uh, we we had some other unfortunate uh, and kind of disappointing positions for for some of the drivers. Lando DNFing um, in Q2 uh, and crashing out there, and then Checo um, similarly just having a really really rough go of it in the the qualies and everything, um, and then. Um, uh, I'm trying to. Did he crash out as well in quali? Or yeah, yeah, yes, I thought so. He crashed in Q2, I believe. Yeah, or yeah, yeah it would have been crashing Q2, and then. But that also makes him like it. It wasn't necessarily the worst. Uh, he could have been. He could have been further down with that DNF. He actually right. like got kind of lucky. He should have been 15th. Um, that's that's kind of all I was getting at. But yeah. Uh, one of the drivers got away clean. They just tapped the wall real even. They were able to back That's it right. up. Kind of similar thing happened to Sergio, but his wing got put into the, um, you know, put into the barrier a little bit. Wasn't able to get the yeah, reverse. I think that was Alex Albon who just barely yep. tapped it. Yep. So. So he was able to get it, but Sergio was not. So yeah, that was really tough for them. And then, and we'll get to it, but then heartbreak in the race for Checo has a mechanical fail failure. So just like tough weekend for Checo overall. Very, very rough weekend. Um, so, so disappointing start, uh, like position for him, definitely unfortunate and not what Red Bull's looking for when you have Leclerc taking an engine penalty. Um, it's, it's just not, not the look that you want. Um, but, uh, Joe Guan Yu makes it into Q3, uh, which was awesome. He had a really, really solid uh, weekend. Um, and then f- further up, the Haas cars, we have Magnussen and Schumacher both uh, up there in P5 and 6. That's their best combined start that they've ever had in a Grand Prix, which is phenomenal. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, I man, think that's the obvious standout for qualifying, right? That and uh, the man, the myth, the legend – the rookie Fernando Alonso. Well, he was a rookie last year. Sorry, the sophomore yeah. <laughs> uh, coming in uh, with a phenomenal P2. Um, still about six tenths back from Max up in, in P1, but just an insane lap that he put out there, um, beating the Ferrari, beating the Mercedes. Um, just like he was he was cruising and really put a, put a nice lap down. So, um, so it was a pretty exciting qualifying, I would say, uh, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it seems like Fernando Alonso's qualifying was kind of the other side of the Sebastian Vettel coin where you have like, you have season season driver in the wet with a with a competitive vehicle and and then they're able to like really lock it in and get that um and get the um second position where Fernando Alonso in that result like you you would say he's out of position right oh yeah i would say yeah. so 100%. Yeah. so i i think that's um i think that's pretty good carlos obviously gets the p3 and this is the weekend that we uh thought was drawing near if you've been listening we've been wondering and kind of uh uh pondering the orbs a little bit uh saying that lewis hamilton's gonna get there eventually and uh p4 put him really well in contention to have a good race come sunday 
Yeah, and after Friday in one of the practice sessions uh, saying that from the setup they were using then that the car was basically undrivable to go from there to putting in a P4 quality uh, is just unreal. So very, very good on him to, to put that together and have a nice uh, a nice qualifying. Um, and of course, that, that led into a very nice race for him as well. Um, so uh, a pretty... Interesting race. As we mentioned, Checo, of course, uh, ended up having a mechanical issue with the car. I believe hydraulics or gearbox that ended up having him stop around uh, lap seven, I think. Uh, so super, early. super early in the race. Um, and then uh, my, I think my biggest heartbreak, though, from this race was, was Mick Schumacher. Of course, unbelievable uh just qualifying really really great to see him up that high on the grid um then just to to have the car kind of break on him uh and everything during the race and in dnfing um is is rough i'm really i'm looking forward to him getting points he's definitely showing some progress as a driver and some growth so that's uh that's good to see but um but Haas had a, a pretty rough weekend after an insane qualifying uh, and starting positions. We see uh, Magnussen going wheel to wheel with, and it's it's just so funny to me that and like not ironic or anything, but Lewis gets into these wheel to wheel battles and bumps into people all the time, and he almost always manages to like come out unscathed when both cars are able to, to continue when it's just like a bump of the wheels or anything like that. Um, but, but Magnuson ends up with a broken front wing gets black and orange flagged, which makes him come into the pits and change his nose. And then he was just pretty much out for the rest of the race. It was, uh, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough opening sector from the start of the race though. Obviously, it's going to be really tight. I don't think either driver was really doing anything wrong. Oh, not they at just, all. They were just squeezing around and unfortunately took the um took the wing damage. I do want to stick on Mick Schumacher just for a second sure. in the radio message when he had turned off the car oddly like confident tone in his voice he would he said man we were on it like it didn't sound like any lack of confidence any anything it was just like ah shit the 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 car crapped out it wasn't anything he did he had a great qualifying so you're right i think we're seeing great progress from him and in that little window into the mentality i would say he's got some uh pretty good morale about him yeah, and I think that's good because I I think there have been a lot of questions about him as a driver just in general because of his name and all. People are always uh, – he he's look, gets looked at with a very critical eye. Um, sure. There's definitely I mean, even, some even fond- I put it to him last week. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some fondness that comes along with the Schumacher name, but you with that name, it also carries a pretty heavy weight of um, expectations as well. So – uh, seeing him have a really nice weekend and make some good quality progress in his his driving and in his level, that's awesome to to sure. see. So definitely, uh, big props to to him for this weekend. Um, I'm very happy to see him uh, making that progress. Sure. 
but uh, some more heartbreak in Canada. McLaren tries the double stack, and Lando gets just the small straw in that scenario. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was like, uh, you know, I, jokes. Jokes probably aren't proper here, but like, it just seemed really weird for that to be. A pretty like well predicted scenario. Many of the teams had drivers on the radio calling about basing strategies on at least one more safety car or at least a virtual safety car late in the race. So if that was the consensus among some of the top drivers, why did it seem like McLaren got so caught out? But they were like, they were going for the big play, they were going for the double stack, but they were clearly out of sorts for it yeah and i think uh part of that is just the fact that um ricardo i think they had trouble with his front right getting it on or getting it off one of the two and so that slowed his pit stop lando ends up having to completely stop behind him so the double stack is already out of whack um and then i think in just the the mayhem of things not going right they didn't have the the wheel out for the front right for lando so um just a a brutal way for that to go and then for uh just for the rest of the race to end up having uh just not the kind of finish that you're looking for uh with uh both drivers ending up out of the points um Definitely a, a pretty rough weekend for McLaren, and they're still. It seems like they still have a lot to figure out um, with their car and setups and everything. So, uh, so definitely a tough one for for them overall. Yeah, I agree. Um, seems like seems like of the expected top teams, McLaren is definitely falling short of that big time. Um, even while their like timesheets may look a a little above average, um, their performance is still just like kind of kind of rickety. They their scenario feels like back marker performance, even if they're able to eke out these like less than dead last performances. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like they're never, uh, or not never, but they are having issues with even fighting for points and just getting mm-hmm. stuck just on that that cusp. And mm-hmm. so um, when we see, especially with uh, teams like Alfa Romeo, we have uh, Valtteri and Joe Guan Yu ending up uh, in the points in P7, P8, which is uh, a really nice performance. We've seen them continue to uh, put together some solid drives. But it does start to um, just make things pretty interesting in that midfield for uh, the constructors. I mean, we are are seeing a very, very tight uh, little group of three there um, in the four, five, and six position. McLaren still has a slight lead, but Alpine is is only eight points back from them, and Alfa Romeo only six points further back from Alpine. So just a, a fourteen point gap there um, for the that four, five, and six position. So all of these points really do matter, and so I think that's a that's part of why I was pretty um, pretty disappointed with how Fernando uh, and the team kind of got their strategy wrong a bit this weekend because after an insane p2 uh in qualifying 
we see him out there and we see safety car one happen, doesn't pit. Safety car two happens, doesn't pit. And so now Fernando's watched the entire grid basically get free pit stops. Um, He's out there doing what he can, but it went from being, oh, I think we're going to be racing uh, for like fourth place with like Mm -hmm. George and Lewis. Oh, I think we're going to be racing for like seventh place with Charles. And then it's like, oh, I think we're going to barely stay in the points. And it's like, that's not not how you want that weekend to end. Um, I I was really pulling for Fernando. I wanted to see see some excitement out of him. So I was I was a little little bummed that that ended up being how his weekend uh, ended. Yeah, of course. And after even such like a a great qualifying session, like you said, putting it uh, putting it second, I think there's I'm curious if there's some kind of disconnect between him and the pit wall, him and the communication where like so is that is that just an example of him not having all of the data thinking that the long stint is the way to go like he feels like the car's okay he feels like his pace is okay but then was he just not heeding the um the words of the pit wall it's it's curious when things like that happen yeah and listening to his uh his post race uh, little brief press interview um mm. it sounded like he from what he said missed uh being able to go into the pits but uh like right before the same like he just missed the pit lane when the safety cars came out basically he had just gone by um but i do also um think that that's something that is kind of on the team and on the pit wall i mean we see these other um these other teams that they see something like that happen and you see guys diving in the pit lane before the virtual safety cars announced, but like they're just, they are anticipating that happening and like, yeah, that could bite you in the ass. If you, uh, if you go in there and it ends up being that, I don't know, the car is able to just make their, their way off the, uh, off the grid relatively easily. But I think that uh, some of the teams are are willing to take that risk, and when you're when you're Alpine, surprised that you don't kind of take that risk in one of the two virtual safety cars that we had um, early on. Yeah, no, I agree, and especially when, especially when you think of, oh man, who said it? I forget who said it, but it just like I it 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 like reformed the way I understand race strategy where he said teams aren't, aren't like making these split second decisions in the moment. He said they're, they're activating decisions that were set up way in advance. So, so that's what like the plan a plan C plan D when they're saying that these are the things that they're talking about. So it's like they would, hopefully have put in a put a plan in place where it's like okay laps seven to seven to 21 if there's like a word of a safety car we're dashing into the pits so then everybody's aware that like at least that that's a possibility or something to be prepared for um so when you think about it as these these pre-made decisions that are just activated in the moment um it is odd 
that they were a little bit behind the curve. But you know what it makes me think of when we're talking about it is it makes me think of any of the moments in a pick band when you're watching and you're like, you know, the Leona would be really strong here and it makes sense. The team plays it. The player's a god on it. And then you see like the left and the right, the hover, the over the shoulder, and then they just lock Soraka and just fucking lean back. It's like, wait, we all said Leona. We all said, right? That that feels like that kind of moment where it's like, well, yeah, but right now I know better. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know what we said, but right now I know better. Yeah, it I think could be a combination of that too, uh, of just like thinking that they have the the best strategy and all, but um, but I think that we have we've just seen a lot of um team strategy errors throughout the year so far we've seen it inhibit and hurt ferrari we've seen it uh do the same for alpine and some of the other teams as well uh mclaren just uh, it it has been biting a lot of the the different teams and so i'm hoping that um like i want to see yes i want to see strategy and all make a difference in how the race ends up but i do also want to um to see the drivers getting their best opportunity to to put their skills on display and all and so um so definitely a bummer for fernando but esteban ocon got picked up some solid points for alpine though though ahead of the alfa romeos up in P6. um but uh the getting up uh to charles leclerc i was pretty surprised i think um at his struggles kind of making his way through the field this weekend i expected um that new engine that new turbo all that stuff to be uh similar to what we had seen with the mercedes when lewis was getting those engine penalties and making his way through um Mm -hmm. so i expected a bit more from from charles and i was surprised to see him uh, even at some points on the medium tires versus drivers on the hard tires and just not being able to have enough pace to, to mm-hmm. get past them. And I don't know if that's because of the deg that uh, the Ferrari was getting on the tires or if it was just other people, uh, I don't know, having like taking better care of their, their tires and all or what the situation sure. was, but well, listen, after 70 laps, a couple, you know, a couple of um, race slowdowns, he made it from 19 to 5th. I I think at a certain point, it would be more of a, we would be more talking about the failure of Lewis, Carlos, and Max, of allowing him to get any higher than he did. Like, it, That's eventually it starts being a failure on the other drivers and the other teams like my man was all the way back there yeah so i think p5 is a pretty aggressive finish for a start like that yeah even with the the engine advantage 
at, at the end of 70 laps, he made it 14 positions. I, yeah. I think that's really strong. Um, and it shows the, I think the grit, a little bit of perseverance. Um, so yeah, the, the, the holiday would have, have him be like racing Lewis at the end for P3 for the podium. Um, but the, uh, just realistically, I think P5 like looks pretty damn good yeah it's definitely like salvaging a, a, a weekend that you have um kind of a, a just bad um luck or, or like you know is not going to be the easiest going into it um i think that the reason that i was uh I, or i am a little down on it is i think he should have been able to be up there fighting with with george and lewis because he went on the hard tires to start the race. He made up a lot of positions by not pitting when other people did under safety car. He was making his way through the field, and then he just got stuck behind, I believe it was Esteban Ocon, um, mm-hmm. for just a lap after lap. And you hear the broadcast, and they're like, they're like, he needs to start like getting one position per lap and like, and then you just see three, four, five, and he's still behind Ocon just like stuck there on at that point, I believe the medium tires, so Ocon's hard tires and just like not having the pace that I think hampered him just immensely from being able to, to get up to fighting for that P three P four. Um, and so I think that's why I was uh, a little down is I, I think he salvaged it pretty well for the weekend, but I think that there was still that extra, extra bit that could have, um, could have turned out even better for, mm-hmm. um, for, for Ferrari, uh, especially on a weekend where, where Checo ends up out of the race, they, yeah. they end up, um, not making up quite as much as I, I think they would have hoped in the, in the constructors fight there. So, yeah, I think this may be a, a scenario of Charles Leclerc didn't lose the race. He just ran out of time. Uh, a little bit. Okay. I, I think, I Fair think, uh, yeah, well, he just lost a, a little too much of that time uh, being stuck behind Esteban. So props to Esteban too. Um, but Mercedes really pulling out a great performance uh, in that P3, P4, as we had mentioned. George mm, continues to to stay in that top five for every race this season. So he has now uh, made it eight, eight races without uh, finishing outside of the top five. So that's one um, big props to Mercedes and not having any sort of reliability issues, knock on wood, that uh, to at least ha- – as of yet hit, uh, right. hit George. Um, but really just awesome performances by him uh, throughout the year. And then uh, big props to, to Lewis getting back on the podium. Um, the, the place where he got his first F1 win 15 years later, um, F1 or ESPN's F1 Twitter account put out a picture of uh, Lewis and Max next to each other after the podium and just titled it "Nature Is Healing" and I it got a good chuckle out of me. Uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. So, uh, so Lewis back on the podium, um, 
first uh, first race this season since I believe week one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, been a long time coming. Obviously, we knew it was going to happen. Um, the most exciting thing, obviously, was the hunt from uh, Carlos Sainz down on Max, dude. Yeah. That was like fourteen laps after the re start of carlos racing like within a second of max there was i believe it was one lap where max broke the drs and he stretched it to like 1.3 or whatever mm-hmm. i dude i flipped. i cheered I was, like, I, was- <laughs> right I was like that's it right there that's the game I won't call dude, it, up. it was so intense it was so intense but the more like the more analytical angle, the less like uh, podcast bias um, angle is how incredible like there would not have been a hunt like that with the old cars. So like, yeah, I understand we're having some kind of troubles, but dude, the the hunting capability of these vehicles mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah. Like he would have been Carlos would have been boiled three three laps after the restart and Max well, would have been gone. He would have only gotten one opportunity. He would have charged up his battery, like tried to get inside that DRS and then mm. that lap he would have had to put in a lap, use all of his energy, use the DRS and everything. Right. And then if he he doesn't stick it, it. then he's just stuck in really, really dirty air. And so I completely agree. That's, I didn't think about that side of it. I was so caught up in the excitement and 16 laps. Yeah. Less than one second gap with Carlos on brand new tires and Max on 10 lap old tires as well, which was pretty, um, pretty insane. And so, like, the, the big takeaways that I got from that one, um, Sad, sad for Carlos because he is right there. He's, I think that's his like sixth P2 that he's had in his career um, and just hasn't been able to get that, that maiden victory. Um, he put a lot of good pressure. He drove really well uh, at the end. But the, the biggest thing for me was Max, Carlos was, was looking to put pressure and, and jump on it if Max made a mistake. Max just didn't make a mistake. It was a very, very mature drive at the end. He was, um, he was keeping his, his gap, uh, just far enough. We saw a couple of times where in one sector of the lap, he gets, uh, Carlos gets it down to four tenths, three tenths, somewhere in there. And then by the end of the lap and the, the long DRS zones, Max had pushed it up to eight or nine tenths where uh, it was just a bit too far of a gap for the Ferrari to, to make it up. Um, so, so really mature uh, drive. Cause I, I was on the edge of my seat, like almost just waiting for something to happen waiting for a lockup around the hairpin that max sure. locks a wheel and and carlos has a gets right on his tail and has a, a go at him or or just running too wide here or there and and he just didn't he he put in um under pressure like you said 16 really good laps um and and so that was uh, very impressive for uh, for me to watch Max just uh, work his way up the grid and everything. 
Yeah, I didn't see as much as a wiggle, a wobble, a shake, or a, a shimmy. He was he was right on it the whole time. Uh, so yeah, but even I think even in the moment, if Carlos did ever get the overtake, I probably still would have cheered for the overtake just because it was so goddamn exciting. Oh, it was so exciting! It yeah. was it was awesome, and that I love to see that kind of racing. So that was that was awesome uh, for the race to, to just finish that way um, yeah, and everything. Time. And so um, with that, Max now uh, he's ahead of Jim Clark and Nikki Lauda in the standings for most F1 wins in history. Wow. Um, so he has That's crazy. So he's ninth uh, on the list. He is one behind Jackie Stewart. Uh, then he's got a, a, a couple other current drivers and a couple of uh, of other uh, legends of F1 ahead of him, but um, ninth overall in uh, in wins at 24 years old is is pretty nutty. Incredible, yeah. It's um it's a, an absolute treat to watch. I love seeing um like it's the kind of driving that like yeah it's like seeing history being written you know what i mean um i think that's really cool so a great canadian grand prix i'm very much looking forward to next year's maybe it's one that we'll bring to you live from canada we are hoping so um big big hoping yeah but uh but an awesome canadian grand prix um looking forward to uh to the upcoming weeks that we have we've got uh great britain next at silverstone so um lots of excitement there that's a a couple weeks out still so um so we have a, a little week off here for for upcoming f1 Hmm. Yep. But uh, what we do not have time off from is uh, League of Legends. We had so many games, bunch of different regions. Everything is firing off. Uh, we picked a couple. We we hand selected. We uh, we weeded through the chaff. We uh, uh, we we squeezed all the melons to see what the uh, what the best fruit was going to be. So we handpicked these games for you. We're going to be talking about RNG versus FPX. We're going to be talking about T1 versus KT. We're going to be talking about EG versus 100 Thieves and EG versus Cloud9. We wanted to focus in on the uh, North American squad that performed oh so well at MSI, but let's start with RNG versus FPX. Sounds good. Um, so over there in the LPL, um rng with their their new top laner breathe uh coming in um i was i was uh like i don't know i I was a little nervous for rng because they did not start out that series too too hot um the uh fpx with especially the uh the top lane kale was just brutal um, it's, it's also just really interesting. And as we go through these matchups, I, uh, will look to highlight some of these picks, but seeing the difference between, uh, the LPL, um, LCK, and then, uh, over in North America and the LCS, it's been, uh, interesting just seeing all the different picks that have come out in that RNG FPX series that, uh, the kale in the top lane was, so so strong and i think we're gonna uh i I feel like that is 
there are like two very different ways that you can go with your drafting and everything, but that is uh, just a very strong one, having the ability to do AP or AD on the Kale uh, in the top lane and kind of balance your comp that way and almost mm-hmm. have a, a flex, even though it's not moving lanes. Um, but uh, RNG just really got kind of run over in that first game. Yeah, and I think there were I think there were a couple of different factors. The um the jungling from FPX was super aggressive. They targeted targeted the top lane pretty well. Um Clid on the Lee Sin looked really strong. Um obviously the aggression from top lane that we used to see, he was you know, he was known for his um who was the who's the the wart rider guy that hops off what's his name? The, uh, the Kled? champion Kled, yes, yeah. Kled was known for Kled up top, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, the aggression translates well. I think I think he was kind of MB, MVP of game one. Uh, the Lee Sin really did work for FPX, and they were just able to translate that early game aggression into some strong, like uh, strong objective control. Yeah, and going into game two, we see uh, like a little bit of a different style from FPX, but they, I thought that they like very easily could have won that match. That was that was tight for quite a while. Um, Clid on the the Kindred uh, along with Care on Galio, that was a awesome combo uh, and cut to kind of wombo they. Uh, focus the top lane very heavily, uh, get in there, the Kindred ult to keep him alive, along with the Galio coming down on top for all the CC. Mm-hmm. And then a free hitting Kale um, was a really, really interesting uh, style. Breathe played really well on the Fiora, though. Um, he was just putting out tons of damage. Uh, and then Gala, of course, uh, with, the <laughs> with the Ezreal, also putting out no he didn't have a triforce so no tons of damage it's so hard not to hear freak when i hear that phrase yeah neither of them had a triforce so i should have uh i should have saved that but Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but gala and and breathe really uh carrying the the team damage for rng um winning some some pretty close fights as well um Mm -hmm. to kind of push that um into their favor and eventually win win game two yeah i think what was unfortunate about that game two draft is rng grabbed the um uh you know that was the yeah that's right okay so the RNG had the Karma Ezreal in that game too. I think mm-hmm. what was kind of unfortunate was the close range nature of the FPX draft, where mm-hmm. after after a certain point, the poke was just going to be so much at the neutral objectives that you'd be starting at like, you know, half health, three quarters health on some of your carries. So while I do think it was a very strong comp if they were able to get on top of you, it ended up just being quite the range advantage for RNG, like as... as as the team scaled um yeah. but yeah overall i think game two was really close and then game three was just a run over from rng just strong early game strong mid great strong mid game their draft was great like what's interesting from rng even like even in the game that they lost their first picking viego like that says <laughs> something so much about their play style where 
on blue side every time they want that viego they don't care what happened in the previous game they don't uh, they, they don't care that is that is their top priority blue side grab the viego and it works they can be so aggressive no matter what their mid lane pick is the viego has so much early game control a lot of times he's able to single a lot of times he's able to single crab with a contest of the of the second crab or just double crab by just pushing the enemy jungler out. Viego has so much pressure early. I love the RNG focus on it, and I think it just sets them up for so much strength into these mid games where it just looks like they have so much control. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think the the Viego is a huge pick, and I've also liked how they have put Xiaohu on more of these supportive picks um, mm-hmm. in in game one. The uh, Lissandra didn't really matter too much. They just got beat pretty heavily in all all sides. But in game two, the uh, the Lissandra was a huge, huge help with peeling for their team and avoiding, like we said, that um, uh, that team comp of X, FPX getting on top of them and and being able to brawl in their conditions. Mm-hmm. So in in game three, seeing him on the Twisted Fate. Um, just locking down the mid lane, having the ability to roam uh, and kind of put pressure around the map, um, and and seeing uh, the ability for just as a whole them to get the bot lane ahead there was uh, was pretty pretty significant and just kind of led to that uh, that game going very heavily in their favor. Yeah, big time. I think what's really interesting about the Lissandra pick for the mid lane is it gives it gives the mid laner some agency in um, when team fights start. So obviously, it gives you with the I think it's called the Frozen Tomb is the ability. Mm-hmm. You can either you can either use it on an enemy or you can use it on yourself. So with the with the Claw walk in Frozen Tomb yourself, you can start a fight if your team is pretty close behind you. You can get a good amount of AOE damage, freeze yourself, give give your team time to follow up so it acts as like an option for a pseudo engage it acts as an option for like a catch out comp as well like you can just free somebody down drop the rest of your cc on top of them now you have a 4v5 and that's butter i think lissandra offers a a good amount of options when it comes to the like mid to late game team fights and you're not really sacrificing anything as far as laning goes she has she has quality push with the q um so overall it's easy to see why teams are gravitating towards this Lissandra because once you get outside of 10 minutes I think Lissandra is a house either in the counter engage the engage the pick comp the poke comp I think she she really uh really has a has a solid place in the meta right now yeah and so seeing Xiaohu pick that up and and be able to utilize it pretty well I think is um speaks speaks a lot for their team going forward because I think they're allowing Breathe to play these carry champions, the Gangplank, the Fiora, and kind of uh, do that and allow Xiaohu to be more supportive. Um, and so I think that um, so far, especially as they are uh, getting more comfortable with the new lineup uh, and everything to just allow them to um, continue to play well, win, and kind of uh, w- play to their strengths and all mm-hmm. um, as they're they're building that team cohesion. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, yeah, so that was a great series from RNG. Took it in two games, um, dropping the first one to... Or took it in two games after dropping the first one to FPX is what I should say. 
Yep. So uh, really solid series. Um, but then moving over to the LCK, we see uh, some very different um, uh, kind of drafts and picks and everything. Um, some of the champions that were making it through uh, over in LPL in that series of RNG FPX were uh, getting getting taken out pretty heavily in the pick ban phase. I think we see the kale get banned out. We see the gangplank get banned out. Um, and so we're, we're seeing them on different champions, but also uh, we got to see some different styles as well in this matchup, uh, particularly game one. For one, I... I think that it's going to be interesting to watch throughout the uh, summer split. Uh, summer split, but the difference in the top lane is is pretty significant. In the LPL, we're seeing a lot of the the more carry focused champions. We're seeing that a little bit in the LCK, but we're seeing some of those other champions like the Sedwani work their way into the top lane, and I think that that is due to the decrease in um or the i guess the increase in survivability that they've made changes to so that champions can't get burst out um along with increases to tower damage uh on dives so or sorry decreases in tower damage to the other the opposing team so having something very tanky with lots of cc like the sedwani in the top lane um that can't get blown up so easily on a uh, early gank like it would have previously, I think allows it to, to be in a spot where you can be up there, farm up, not be too concerned about getting ganked and getting put really far behind. Uh, and then allows a lot of just agency and utility um, that you would normally see coming out of the jungle uh, kind of in that top lane role. So I think that's something that I want to keep an eye out if there are other champions similar to the Sejuani that we start seeing come into the top lane um, kind of throughout this uh, this split because that was an interesting one for me. Yeah, I'm worried what's going to happen if a team um, like takes a bad like range matchup with the Sejuani. I think that's not gonna go well if you're if you're having good information in the draft, I think it could I think it could be okay. But even against the NAR, like that just seems really risky to me. I think you're putting your top side at a pretty big pretty big disadvantage. Um where the especially because these Sejuanis aren't taking flash either it feels like a very all-in choice that i'm not sure how many times the teams are gonna make um it definitely seems strong definitely has the laning power you know with the with the one ability you get uh some wave clear as well so obviously it's doing fine in that department uh it just seems a bit risky not bad just risky um we've we uh we saw a workout um, in game one for uh, KT Rosser, which I think is um, uh, awesome. I think the engages went really well. The ultimate was kind of backbreaking for some of the carries. And the ability to just stun a bunch of different people, I think, is super useful, obviously, in, in fights. It just seems like a risky laning phase to get through, I guess, is ultimately all I'm saying. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's still not like, even though you have the survivability, I think you can easily get put behind uh, if you're in a bad matchup. But uh, against the NAR, it didn't seem to, to struggle too much. Um, but also just game one, I, I mean, T1's draft was just kind of bizarre and out there they were trying something very different and so i mean props to them for for coming out and just giving it a shot but the Calista mm-hmm. camille in the bot lane was just not um it, it didn't work out like i think they expected it to um the cassidy in against the azir is a, a decent counter but i think they just ended up with uh, with the bot lane getting a little too far behind and and in the mid lane with the focus that KT put on Faker early as well mm-hmm. um, to just not be able to have their kind of just go in team comp uh, yeah. get to where it needed to um, to be able to to win those team fights. They just got put a little too far behind for that. Um, so we see them go back to something a, a bit more standard in uh, in game two. Yeah, and what was interesting, just last point on game one, I think it was uh, a highlight of Tom Kench's strength big time. Um, you uh, you used the term last time, disruption. They were never able to kill the Tom Kench. He was too tanky. Um, their dive comp was never able to uh, to get the initial kill that's supposed to steamroll, and it was that Tom Kench that was just always in the way, eating the, eating the friend that was getting killed, just like totally swapping around the focus um so yeah i think the the tom kench was a real backbreaker for the uh the team comp but yeah t1 looks to swap up their team composition here for game two which i think um obviously ended up ended up going pretty well corky right now it seems like is just doing a disgusting amount of damage between the phosphorus bombs and the q's yeah uh, it's yeah it's no surprise the players want to play pick it yeah Faker, uh, his use of the package too, like going in there, leaving that burning trail behind him and everything was utilized very well in game two and three. Um, he yeah. looked he looked really, really good. Um, we do see KT go with a, a little interesting uh, support pick of their own with the Jarvan at support. Um, I just don't. Even with all the uh, kind of support focus bands and everything, I still just I'm not quite sure what um, what teams are seeing with those kinds of like the Camille support in game one, the Jarvan support with the Callista in game two. I understand that there's uh, multiple CC options and things like that with those champions, but I just don't see what it brings that something else a Leona, a Thresh, uh, something like that doesn't. Sure. Yeah, and I definitely understand that, especially when we're used to teams that are just like uh, thinking about just like kind of chalking the 2v2 and thinking about just like doing their best to play for the late game and the and the team fighting. Uh, Jarvin, uh, Jarvin Callista just says, I want to kill you, hopefully, on level two, you know? But then when you don't make it happen... It just it just trickles down in power level so much quicker than the other the other picks do. But yeah. on the flip side, if Jarvin gets like a double kill really early in the game with a sick knockup, you know, he's able to like roam mid, pick the mid laner, you're like, 
okay, well, maybe there's something to it. It's just unfortunate that the kill, like, quote-unquote kill lanes, they just really don't ever look that good in competitive because, like, you can still win a 2v2 with Leona. Like, oh, yeah. And she'll do so much more later. Um, so, yeah, I definitely see your point on that one. I see what they're going for. But, um, yeah, really, really all in. And against the Tom Kench. Against the Tom Kench. Yep. Bro. Bro, you got to bench the Kench if you're going to if you're going to try and go forward, bench the Kench cuz it's it's so strong right now and he gets so tanky. Um you do see him get banned out uh by KT in uh in game 3. Yeah. Um and that was just a quite a brawl of a game. I mean, back and forth so much. There were um a number of different times that I just wasn't really sure how that was going to go owner with a big Baron steal in that game that kind of turned things on its head. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, we see a four Baron game, 44 minutes that uh, that was a pretty, pretty wild one overall. It just kind of ended up coming down to who's going to win the last big team fight and then run through the base. Yeah, and there was um there was some hasty teleports, some um some top lane shenanigans with long pushes and everything. But yeah, overall uh uh T1 was able to uh bring it back. But man, soul fight, 38 minutes, like that's a really late soul. Um both teams uh, I think both teams were on soul point, so either way, um it was uh yeah, ridiculously close. I think I think owner is just the steal on the Baron was so clean. It was like mm. everybody just stopped playing for a second, let him get the Baron, and then resume play. All right, let's go. Yeah, he he has looked phenomenal, and his um, cohesion with Zayas as well, I've been really, really impressed with. Um, they were really able to um, work very well in the team fights uh, and kind of play around each other to get some, some solid picks um, to the Zayas diving in with the gnarl jumping into, to groups of KT players and allowing um, his team to just kind of free hit from the outside was, was huge, but owner mm-hmm. was getting some really, uh, really nice picks, really good chase downs after fights as well. Yeah. Um, so very, very impressed with them so far. Uh, and I think even though this was a very, very close telecom war uh, in general, I do think that uh, T1 has the upper hand uh, moving forward, of course. But I think KT Rolster looked pretty solid. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they um, kind of continue to play going into the rest of the season um, in spring season. Uh, we saw them have not the most phenomenal uh, of uh, of seasons and dropping out of that top six uh, into the seventh position. So I think that they are on the cusp and, and looked pretty uh, pretty good in that first matchup for potentially down the road. Yeah, I agree. Um, it is obviously a pretty long season, um, but yeah, so far their um, their early performance is looking really strong. So that was a really fun series. Uh, T one takes it two to one over KT. Um, but uh, yeah, the let's use the NAR play of Zayus to kind of uh, 
lead us into um, Evil Geniuses versus 100 Thieves, I think there was a play, regardless of uh, JoJo's Rockets, I think there was a play where someday really botched it. The um, the later game teleport into the river they were chasing. Mm-hmm. He chose to hop the wall and then just had to run at the enemy team, gets a really bad gnarl, and then they just lose the fight. I, um, I'm i not sure that was a, a, a great use of the gnar, but I'm just using that to lead us into the next game, EG versus 100 Thieves. Yeah, and uh, the EG versus 100 Thieves, this is the um, championship matchup from the spring split in LCS. So um, one, one thing to note, which I thought was pretty interesting. I saw Parth tweeted that 100 Thieves, so this is the first time in seven years that an organization has fielded the same starting roster for three consecutive splits. The only other time in LCS history that this has happened was the original Cloud9 roster. So um, very rare to see a team continue to uh, field the same roster moving forward, but they do seem like they have uh, something good there. And I think that they're realizing as well that um, their cohesion and their uh, kind of ceilings that they have for their their team and their play um, is what they are looking for and, and better than what they see fielding other uh, other players, bringing in someone new. I think that they're, they're pretty happy with their... Um, uh, just teamwork and, and team play so far. So it makes sense to kind of keep running with that roster. Yeah. And it's a little bit of an experiment into, into the void, like with that being the exception to the rule, it's interesting to see what happens with a team. If they just stick together. I mean, how many rosters were broken up because of, you know, links, tiny violin and so much TSM bullshit and this and that, like, it's interesting to see a team like really like stick that cohesion through and look like a championship winning team while doing it yeah Um, i think it's quite impressive yeah and after worlds especially last season so many teams are always looking to find upgrades who's the weak link who do we need to what do we need to shift around and uh so so props on them for sticking together um Unfortunately, in this first matchup with uh, with EG, their their rivals from last season, um, EG just really has looked so so good to start off uh, this this LCS split. Um, they they I feel like they just picked up right where they left off um, in uh, at MSI, playing very well as a team, inspired, looking like. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is way, way too early, but Inspired is playing on an MVP level and has has been, I think, uh, since last split as well. So he's continued to look really good. Um, but they they controlled the map very, very well, um, just uh, especially in their objective control. They had really solid dragon control were getting towers uh, and rift heralds to, to kind of push their lead. Um, and they just kind of controlled that game uh, from start to finish. I felt like. Yeah, big time. And they were just aggressive. They know the right 
they know the right fights to pick and after they've picked them they'll likely kill you they are aggressive they move forward as a squad their fingers are fast as hell and they they have the vibe on the rift as a as a hive mind where it's it's five entities all working as like one thing and once you see teams start really moving like that that's when it's trouble that's when you're you're likely playing against a different beast yeah and and the eg team really kind of has that um and whether it's up to like jojo's confidence just leaking into the other members whether it's inspired like leadership from the jungle role i don't know what it is but they are playing they are are playing incredibly well i think impact is just a contentious top laner um he is just doing doing so many right things they at like at every role they're impressive yeah kind of what i'm getting at yeah, and not to to knock hundred thieves because they they do have a solid lineup and and played pretty well, but um, but overall it was just evil geniuses were kind of ahead in every every role. Um, I think it's uh, what I am imagining is happening, which I, I don't can't speak to completely, but it seems like Inspired's uh, just aggressiveness and pressure from the jungle to. Uh, put pressure on his lanes and everything. And Vulcan seems to also be very uh, impactful in terms of mm-hmm. his, um, I would imagine he's doing a, a bit of the shot calling the way that they're moving around and that he is uh, oh, yeah. kind of looking to get ward coverage and move around and assist other lanes uh, as well. Um, I think they, they do, they look like kind of just this, uh, this, ball of death just moving around from objective to objective getting winning team fights winning winning the 1v1s and just kind of winning across the board so uh very very impressive um from them in that that matchup yeah big time kudos to eg um and then moving right along we wanted to take a look at uh jensen back in the lcs uh cloud nine had the first matchup of the summer split against evil geniuses uh with jensen as their mid laner we wanted to check in and see how it went and i would say it delivered i think jensen played really well um the victor looked super strong uh there was a lot of elements from cloud nine that looked really good i think fudge's fiora was terrifying um to say the least i think he was playing that really well obviously at home in the top lane on the uh carry style top laner so that was really fun um but yeah i thought it was a fun game overall yeah and i i just uh i agree i think um in general i was a little a little bummed that c9 started out oh three uh in the starting weekend but of course they uh, did not have their starting bot lane, which really seemed to be the area that was um, kind of lacking, getting further behind and allowing uh, each of the other teams to, to kind of take advantages and end up winning those games. Um, unfortunately, like King and Destiny, I think it's a combination of them still improving as players, but also um, them being... Uh, 
kind of thrust into this position where they probably have not practiced quite as much with the main roster, uh, with Fudge, Flabber, and Jensen. So um, I uh, Jack had tweeted out uh, earlier today that uh, today is the first day of scrims with their actual LCS roster, so Berserker and Sven uh, scrimming in the bot lane. I'm guessing there was just a slight delay after their uh their boot camp in korea for berserker getting back with visa visa things so it'll be interesting seeing um and checking back in i think this coming week uh as to how they do this weekend and if they can uh make any uh kind of improvements or just see where the the actual roster's at of course still very early and one week of um of scrims with the full squad is probably not uh, going to make too many immediate leaps and bounds, but uh, it'll be good to see them kind of as a whole the way that we're uh, expecting. So yeah, I I agree, and especially um, with the upgrade of I can't speak too much of Berserker. I haven't watched as many of his games, but with Zven in particular, that's just going to be uh, an insane upgrade. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him in the support role uh, for Cloud9. But even in the game against Evil Geniuses, I'm not even sure it was a concern of like the main roster or not. Jojo Pion was just 1v5 with Corky Rockets. Like yeah. Some of those big ones that he landed just shut down fights for cloud nine they were like well guess we can't go forward anymore and like that that was like oh my god like this champion is very strong so strong and so they they utilized it very well um they utilized the the poke of the ezreal and the corky but um along with the uh the sejuani ults and and trundle being able to get in there they um they played very well uh to kind of tie things up in a pretty competitive match um so like i said unfortunately c9 not getting the win there but um but it was interesting also seeing the sejuani as i had mentioned coming into the top lane here in the lcs as well so early Mm -hmm. on i think um like I said, I want to kind of keep an eye on some of those top lane picks and how the meta shifts and changes, uh, because I think that will be very interesting to kind of uh, watch at how things evolve throughout the split. Yeah, for sure. Um, and obviously, yeah, game one, um, even over that weekend, I'm sure, you know, picks developed and teams saw this and that. Uh, so that was a very, you know, just fresh look at it. But overall, I think the the, the team comps look pretty standard other than, you know, like you were saying, the, the Sedge top lane. Um, but yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting split. EG starting it off on a fucking tear. Um, looking forward to Cloud9's full roster and then we'll uh, check in on some of the other teams as we move forward here. Yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to it. Um, But Justin, did you have any other notes that you wanted to hit uh, before we kind of get to the endings of the episode here? Uh, no, not for, um, not for league. I think we uh, hit those games pretty well. Some of, um, Obviously, some better performances than others, and obviously we won't be covering only these teams. Uh, We'll do our best to spread it out as well as we continue to squeeze the melons to see what is best for the viewers. 
Sounds good. So looking I'm, forward I'm to that Melon's reference, by the way. Okay. <laughs> but um yes, uh so wrapping up the League of Legends talk, did we have uh any magic the gathering this week that we want to get into? Only only that I won games. That's that's all I guess I, I really want to say. Um any like in-depth talk is you know kind of meh, but um I just want to give a big shout out to uh Death Magic, uh Veil of Death MTG on YouTube. Uh he is ever so gracious inviting myself, Buddha, and Braxit on um on the regular to join him in games. So that's always really fun. So GG's to him, Buddha and Braxit was really fun. The here's what I will say. In we played three games in game three. I actively and chose to I did the I crunched the numbers. I went into the tank. I kept a no land hand and I almost won the game. Damn. Yeah. So I took everything I learned about, you know, keeping keeping bad sevens and mulling to five and find like all of that that I've learned. I said I can do this and I almost fucking did it. So that was nice. Um, But yeah, other than that, it was just fun to play with uh, play with the fellas. Uh, We had some exciting games last night as well. Uh, I won the second one. I was at one life. They thought I was out of it. But I'm never out of it until the, um, you know, until the cows come home. So uh, I took that game in amazing fashion. Milk Breath was stunned. He said, oh, I can't believe it. Uh, so, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, won two nice. games in the last couple of days. So it's been fun. Other than that, though, I'm ready to um, give him the flavor of the week. Aaron, what you got for us? Sounds good. Uh, so for my food this past week, Colleen and I did uh, some more homemade Indian style food. Uh, so we oh, did yeah. a chicken, chicken tikka masala. Um, it was uh, using a store sauce. Uh, I, I have not delved too much still into that, but uh, seasoned the chicken very well. Again, it's uh, pretty easy, like uh meal to do but also uh very tasty so that is my food for this week my visual medium uh colleen decided on sunday night i get i think it was sunday evening um we were watching shrek so we so we watched shrek it was pretty entertaining i think it has uh it has stood up pretty well over the years um as a as a decently entertaining movie um and so for my music it is also shrek because the the soundtrack uh throughout that movie is very very fun um i i know i i mean all the smash mouth songs and just everything uh it was it was just a good time um so that is my flavor of the week for this week very cool to uh, piggyback on the movie soundtracks being super enjoyable uh, for my music. Me and Sarah watched uh, the third Thor Ragnarok and throughout the film, one of our comments was just like, man, this, this song fits this scene really well. Man, I love the soundtrack here. Um, so definitely another feeling. Uh, Shrek is love. Shrek is life. Obviously. Um, I did show my, Colleen that video too. She had never yeah. seen it. Hilarious. She was that's, like, what am I watching? <laughs> so funny. Yeah. The internet's a scary place. Um, 
my food for the week. I just, I just want to highlight something my dad has said a couple of times. Um, in thinking about like eating food out or like ordering or whatever, I'm often just like, I just want Sarah's cooking. Like every time I have something from here or there, like, oh yeah, I'll try that. Or yeah, just get that. I'm often so disappointed. I'm just like, Sarah would make this so much better. I don't know why we just spent our, you know, our, our paychecks on this. Um, so yeah, often I'm just thinking about Sarah's cooking. Uh, she does it up the best. And then my visual medium, I don't know. It sounded familiar. Have you, have you seen Wayward Pines? Why does that sound familiar? Um, but it is uh, executive producer M. Night Shyamalan. So it's got all of the freaky deaky elements that you would expect from the man. And um, yeah, me and Sarah have gotten into season two. I obviously make fun of it a whole lot. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of spooky dooky. There's some like funny stuff going on. Um, but yeah, overall, it's like kind of wonky. But that's just what uh, Sarah had on. So I sit down and, you know, just enjoy it with her. But uh, yeah, short, sweet. That's my flavor of the week, my friend. Very cool. Um, I don't know why that sounds familiar, but it, I may have to check it out. Some M. Night stuff is entertaining every now and then, so... Like, like you'll see all of his other films in the show. You're just like, oh, that's just like, oh, well, he did. Oh, well, don't you? Like, it's it all. Yeah. It all feels just like all of his tricks again in a TV show. It's like okay, yeah. like there's a wall and a village. I'm, so, I'm serious. So I guess I I may uh, I may steer clear, but <laughs> you can and you won't miss anything. Uh, but uh, that's that's interesting to say the least. He he definitely has his shtick and kind of uh, sticks to it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but that does bring us to the end of this week's episode, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, of course, as always, thank you all for for coming and joining us, listening along. We want to hear what your flavor of the weeks are. Hit us with a comment. You can find us on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Twitter. Hit us up on there. Um, so we're always, uh, very appreciative of, of everyone who takes the time to join us at tall and short of one on Twitter. Join us uh, every Thursday for new episodes on YouTube or get the audio, uh, wherever you can find it, uh, join the discord, uh, get chatting with us. But, uh, yeah, other than that, just thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. And, uh, this has been another tall and short of it podcast. Peace out everyone. Later.